1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's gone, is that? It's the second time it's
2: gone off. Huh? never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those,
3: those boys. I said I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain,
1: whatever. Owen oh, and Murphy and Ken here with today's Monday's Irish Times Second Captains Podcast. Hi, fellas. Hello there. How all? are you? Shillelah's in swing time as thirty wild Irishmen demonstrate their game of athletic assault and battery. So went the slogan for a nineteen thirty six MGM documentary called Hurling. Apparently, mm. the current exponents of the sport, certainly those from Galway and Dublin, are keen students of the Hollywood depiction, historically, of their great game, and decided to give the American audience what they wanted in Boston last night, during the inaugural Fenway Classic. Mm.
4: I think um, I think that you have to know when to strike. You know, you know that the door, the the window of opportunity, oftentimes is only open for a short time. Uh, if hurling is to make it in America, as the Beatles tried, succeeded. Robbie Williams tried, failed. <laughs> uh, they had to make sure that the game that they were playing in Fenway Park last night contained all of the elements that, pe- that uh, people like hurling for. Not, and that's not just goals. I mean, there were no points in this game. That is one of the key points of the Super 11 oh, really? uh, format. That it's, just, it's just goals, no points. Another factor, other than goals, that people really like to watch hurling for is some violence. And so they 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 delivered uh, well a mini classic of the genre I would have thought of. shimmazel
1: brawl Malay no
4: actual punches lots of uh, people rolling on the ground uh, but how it would develop is I would grab you get you on the ground wrestle with you for a little bit Ken would come over he Ken's my teammate he'd pull, third one in he'd pull you off and then Simon would come in uh, he's your teammate and would drag Ken onto the ground and then a third. It just basically went on to a pair of people resting on the ground, saved by another person who would then be wrestled to the ground. It also had, it's, it's surprising how long that can go on for. It us. had a
1: lot of the classic components. That's one. Uh, well, mm-hmm. that, that You've actually mentioned a number of them there. Another is the, there's always an ebb and flow to these brawls. Yeah. It's rarely a minute of concentrated action. What happens is there's a bit of a flurry. Then there's a pause before the pods reset themselves, as you talk about yeah. there. I know you yeah. were quite impressed, for example, Ken, with the, uh, well, it was the goalkeeper who kept it alive. I think it was James Cahill there, the Galway goalkeeper.
3: Because he made his way, evidently, from the other end of the field and arrived late on the scene, <laughs> but he really flew into it. it. It was like, you know, cleaning out a rook. Yeah. Uh, that sort of uh, horizontal uh, flashing into, into the picture. Got low and
4: blasted him off it, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, and, and that obviously set, th- set everything off again. Uh, and he was there. I don't know. There was. I think the standard of fighting might be going up. Um, it, you know the
4: standard of ground and pound yeah. definitely is uh, that's improved a lot.
3: The technical quality of these brawls has improved, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're more entertaining. No, no. no, no, I, no. I, to be no. honest, I prefer the old school Franny Lee uh, windmilling <laughs> fist. But the, you know, now it's all very, it's it's very te- uh, technical, very tactical, cerebral. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? The ground game doesn't excite everyone, but you know, if you know what you're looking for. I think it was a high. I mean,
4: if if people go out and educate themselves, yeah, you know, to the ground game, you'll see a lot to like in this, and also they can rest easy in in the well, not the sure and certain knowledge, but the relative knowledge that the members of the GA disciplinary committee are not ground and pound aficionados. So you can inflict a lot of pain there, and as long as it's not a straight up uh, Queensbury rules <laughs> punch to the jaw, you're probably going to get away with yeah, it. Yeah, so.
1: Pork Duffy is a. Purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, no? Did I uh, mishear that? No, you may I'm thinking have to be. No, he Kieran watches Maghini, he
4: he watches NFL uh, uh um, <laughs> quite a bit. A couple he actually th- does. pork Duffy is an absolutely gigantic. I'm trying to remember what is his team, but he has a helmet of his favourite NFL team in his office in Crow Park. This is not a lie.
1: Well it's gotta be the Steelers then, wasn't it? Maybe a Dan Rooney really gift oh. or something like that. No, so, I want to say it's the Do you want to hear a couple of more of those quotes, those promotional, the promotional blurbs from back in the 30s? Yes. It wasn't only that film, Hurling. There was a a documentary series done as well. In case you haven't heard, hurling is an old Irish game, a sort of athletic manslaughter, screams one headline. Another one promises audience thrills in quotes, each time a wild Irishman's skull shatters. (laughs) 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 So kind of really leading on the.
3: That's brilliant. Where is that from?
1: Uh, I I'm not sure which I don't th- don't think that was hurling. That was a slightly later. Each uh, time a to wild Irishman's skull shatters, hurling yeah. the ancient
3: game of hurling devised fifty or sixty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, big weekend's football. Um, not that much violence, although Manchester City would have felt.
1: No, nah, I have no way to complete that analogy. Ken, Liverpool just hammered Manchester City. Mm. Uh, is it possible though that one of Liverpool's players played a little too well?
3: I did think, Owen, that Philippe Coutinho was approaching Andres Iniesta replacement levels of uh, awesome in this mm. game. It's a little bit worrying. He
1: played a. Little, yeah. He's got to tone it down, tone down the brilliance a little bit, is what you're saying.
3: Uh, I just think Liverpool will be looking at that, thinking in themselves, "We've got a problem here. We've got a little uh, number ten Brazilian shaped problem." Uh, because uh, the one thing that they that everybody does know about Coutinho, who's following... The story of the last little while is that he was Suarez's fav- favorite favorite teammate from his time at Liverpool, and his parting advice to Stephen Gerrard was, "Look after him because he's really good." And uh, uh, whether uh, you know, you'd hope that other people at Liverpool have got that message because um, I mean, Iniesta delivered a fantastic performance for Barcelona. Um, uh, I mean, he was he was applauded off the field by a standing ovation at the Bernabeu. That's pretty good. He scored an amazing goal, which was which was a very satisfying goal to watch. It had that thing where you don't often see these goals, but from time to time you get a goal where somebody lays a ball off, which is just rolling so slowly until someone arrives onto it and absolutely hammers it. The Carlos Alberto goal against Italy is the most famous example of it. Um, Xabi Alonso scored a goal a bit like this against Arsenal about 10 years ago you might remember mm, yeah. uh, rolled into his path and he came steaming onto it and lashing it into the top corner and Jester got one of those always a nice goal to see uh, applauded off at, um, applauded off by uh, Barcelona's bitter sense. enemies still 31 years old on 31 and not getting any younger and Barcelona once they get uh, this uh, I think the transfer ban's pretty much out of the way now they're going to have to start looking at okay we like to uh Iniesta's a great player. It's not, a, it's not about replacing Iniesta. On the other hand, it is always good to bring in the, the new guy before the old guy is, is completely finished. So, I, uh, I think that's going to be... I mean, Klopp has been talking about how we need to make Liverpool the kind of team that nobody wants to leave. Yeah,
1: and his force of personality has to be a big part of making that happen.
3: Of course, yeah. But, I mean, when we look back to Bristol Dortmund, he didn't manage to succeed with that there. I mean, <laughs> everyone wanted to leave Bristol Dortmund. It was great. It was great. They all loved it. They all loved Klopp. Still wanted to join Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. Yeah, we'll, ta- we'll
1: take three times the wages and yeah. a much better chance of winning trophies long term.
3: We'll yeah.
4: never
1: forget you, Jürgen. Your-
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. You've done so. Without you, none of this would have been possible. <laughs> so that's, I mean, at the same time, um, that's that's a negative spin to put in the fact that at the moment, Kutir is playing very well for Liverpool and, and they, they seem to be going kind of great guns.
1: Craig McDowell finished third in Georgia last night. That was after his first win in 16 months in Mexico the week before. Not the most glamorous locations for tournaments. The reason he's even having to play these is that his year has gone so badly that he looked at it recently and said, "Uh, yeah, I might lose my employment status here in the US, so I better go and play some some of these tournaments and try to get a couple of wins, which he's managed to do. He's pulled it around. Also a great end to a bad year for Rory McIlroy. He won the race to Dubai. We'll talk about all that a little bit later. Simon. Yes. Do you like quality sports writing? I do. Great conversation?
5: Yes. And
1: midweek boozing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well then, the Grand Social in Dublin this Wednesday is the place for you. It's the official launch of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1. You're salivating there, if I can see it. It's a little sorry, disgusting, frankly. Sorry, I should have. <laughs> should have the bib on. Our brand new apologies. book, it's hitting Easton's and all good bookshops. It's available now on secondcaptains.com and the launch is on this Wednesday from 6.30pm. If you fancy coming along, just email live at secondcaptains.com with the subject tickets in the subject line. Tell us your name. That should be pretty easy. The number of tickets you want should be straightforward as well. What you have to do a bit of thinking is telling us. Thinking? I just want to go to the launch, says every listener. What we want is your favourite book or annual as a child and why
5: it was your favourite. Bit of it's going to be old almost message. Judy Bloom for almost everybody, isn't it?
4: <laughs> shoot, but it's so hard to choose between Shoot86 and Shoot87, though. I mean, that's the that's the real killer, I think.
1: Live at secondcaptains.com is the email address there. If you don't manage to get tickets, because there's a limited number, we will be there after the launch. We'll hang around from 8 o'clock. You can pop in at that stage and get the book signed if you want, unless you feel that that might... Uh, be rude smirch your really beautiful book. Really good book. Some people like uh, people to sign things, so we can do that. Uh, right now, Dennis Hickey and Jerry Thornley are ready to go. Jerry, I'm going to bombard you with some stats to kick things off. Seven losses from seven for the Pro 12 teams against England and uh, the English and French clubs in Europe this week in the European Champions Cup. Six wins from six for the English teams altogether. First time since 2008 that that's happened. Ten wins and eleven so far this competition for the English clubs. So after the brief hiatus, the debacle a couple of months ago in the World Cup. English rugby is back.
0: Wonderful, isn't it? I'm so happy for <laughs> <That's>
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly the tone, though, of a lot of the... Yeah. And it's understandable that the Up English three, okay, writers yeah. are
0: writing very yep. optimistically. It's
1: particularly that 32 sixth humping that Was gave Toulon last night.
0: It was astonishing. I mean, Toulon didn't have a great team on board. didn't have any specialist place kickers, so far as we could tell. But even so, they almost looked disinterested. I'm not sure that this is good or bad for Leinster. I'm veering more towards the bad. Really? Yeah, well, I couldn't imagine Toulon will be as bad again in three weeks' time at home. And the Stad Felix Mayall, they're going to be desperate for a win now. They'll put out a stronger side. They are the three-in-a-row champions. I think that's going to make that task for Leinster even more difficult than was already the case. And, of course, what it also underlines is what series contenders Wasps have become there, and another upwardly mobile English club with that move to Coventry. Some really good signings, some good players, and a good brand of rugby, and uh, a bonus point win as well. Yet, yet another um, woe upon woe for Leinster, I think. Does it make Leinster feel any better, though, about what happened in the first week of the competition? Marginally. it's That's that's very small compensation for them that I think Wasp did look so good, Simon. Um, yeah, it reaffirms the, the merit of their win at the RDS, but it would also suggest that they're ahead of Leinster at the moment in, in, a, in a lot of ways, not just by eight points. And uh, that's a hell of a leeway to make up on them. And then Toulon to rise in this pool as well. And Bath being the contenders there, it's almost impossible to see how Leinster can get out of this pool now.
1: Dennis, we'll get back onto Leinster, but uh, in terms of the English clubs, Wasps seem to have recruited a load of ridiculously pacey players for a start. We've seen what Bath have been doing over the last couple of years. Is there a marked change in attitude amongst the clubs in England to how they, how they approach the game tactically?
2: Well, I think maybe looking from the outside, and I, you know, I, I haven't watched Premiership rugby week in, week out for the last ten years or anything like that. But I think the 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 certainly my view of of English club rugby for the last couple of years was that it was you know maybe a little bit more attritional, not the most exciting type of rugby. And um, a lot of that, of course, has been driven by the relegation battle and a lot of the clubs will, and coaches will, and players will say, you know, halfway into the season, half the clubs are struggling just to stay up and that that dictates how they play. But, you know, I think this year and and even last year as well, I think you have seen um, the teams that are succeeding playing a fairer brand of open rugby with a very exciting player, Saracen's Bath or two, for example, that's been to mind and now Wasps very much have joined that type of, um, type of approach so that's what's driving all teams I think to push towards that
0: Have you noticed that Jerry? Um, I think that uh, when you're looking at the teams that the, I think what's happened in England in the last few years is that some clubs have got very rich and the threat of rele- relegation is not very real at all I'm thinking of the likes of Saracens you can include Bath in that bracket now as well um, Leicester has always been the case but I think yeah I think Bath have shown the way I think Harlequins have shown the way they're good teams to watch and now Wasps as well, they play a very exciting brand of rugby, there's no doubt about it. And it ha- there has been a little bit of a shift towards more positive rugby. You still have Saracens <clears throat> doing what Saracens do, for almost never running the ball from their own half and basing a game on their defence, the Wolf Pack and the Blitz defence and winning the collisions. But they've added a few strings to their bow as well. And we saw that what, what they did to Ulster on Friday night, which was as bleak as anything that happened to Leinster the, the week before. So yeah, they do look a cut above um, the Irish teams at the moment and they are playing a more progressive brand of rugby. I think that's fair to say. What's curious about all of this, of course, is that you know we lament what apparently is a World Cup hangover, particularly with Leinster. I mean, they supplied seventeen players to the Irish squad, um, one to South Africa and two more called ups. So they are bulk suppliers. And you look at Glasgow, and they are the bulk supplier, they're the biggest bulk suppliers of all to any World Cup squad, and they lost pretty convincingly at home to Northampton. So there there seems to be a, a bit more of a hangover in some clubs over here. As compared to England, where they are more thinly dispersed across 12 clubs, so they're not being. But then you look at the form of Farrell and Ford, who had a hugely disappointing World Cup for them personally. Anthony Watson, so forth. They seem to be almost liberated by returning to their clubs. Not so for the the Leinster players. And what's puzzling about this is, it's very clear. You know, watching the game and, and in the record Saturday, it was very evident what difference Easton, A. S. A. when Ben Te'o and Hayden Triggs made to that Leinster performance. They were all amongst their leading performers. And then the young guns that came off the bench, James Tracy. Um, Dominic Ryan, who's okay, been around a few years now, and Josh van der Flier and Luke McGrath. They made a huge difference. All of them, of course, untainted by the World Cup. So I'm trying to figure that one out still. Given how obvious it was, the guys who
5: came off the bench, the younger players, mm-hmm. made such an impact. Is it now a case where the likes of Josh van der Flyer, for example, goes ahead of Jordi Murphy just because he looks so much fresher, so much keener,
0: really? I would think that, that has, to be, there has to be a case for that now. Um, I don't know what's happened to Jordy Murphy's form, but it seems to have deserted him for whatever reason. He's not unique in this regard. A few players have. I think whether you were a fringe player in the World Cup or a regular starter and, and got injured and facing the biggest disappointment of your career, like Johnny Sexton, and then coming home <clears throat> and having a chest infection and a groin strain, whatever, there are a myriad of circumstances. Each player is different. But yes, certainly somebody in the case of Jordy Murphy, um, he's not producing the form of last year or the year before, which he was producing in an Irish and a Leinster shirt for whatever reason. And, of course, <clears throat> the other players, like Josh Van de Flyer and so forth, um, and Luke McGrath, are more in tune with what Leinster are trying to do this season because they've been with them for the last couple of months, where the Irish players haven't. So it is a very tricky one for Leo Cullen and the coaching staff, as it is for Gregor Townsend at Glasgow, to reintroduce 20 or so players into a squad when your existing squad are used to playing a certain way. And, of course, you've got a new coaching ticket as well. All these myriad of factors have contributed to where Leinster where they are, but in answer to your question, yes, there must be a compelling case now for starting Band of Fire um, at the weekend against Ulster on Friday night. And also, Simon, I think there's an issue for Leo Cullen and the Leinster coaching ticket here in that so many of the World Cup players look drained. And you think of what's still ahead of them this season, even if there is not going to be knock- any Heineken Cup knockout stages, there's a Six Nations to come. And, and then at the end of it all, there's a three-test tour to South Africa. And you just wonder how often these players can dip into the well.
1: I'm surprised. That they are professional <clears> sports <throat> people. and they, they were playing at the World Cup. this is the stage they want to be at so I'm kind of surprised well I'll ask Dennis if you've noticed the same thing do you feel that there is a hangover and that they do look drained after the World Cup exertions
3: Um,
2: I I don't know the the individual you know how individual players react because they you know they all react somewhat differently I think it's more maybe a a collective um, it's a collective uh, what's the best way to say this I I think as as a group I think they're probably finding it hard um to uh, adopt the new game plans and come in under under a new uh, regime and maybe uh, and maybe that's it and I, I just don't think they're they're probably able to execute or get get the groups maybe with the with the with the game plan the familiarity of the game plan and um maybe execute it to 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 the sort of um levels of precision and same sort of uh, I, I i don't know kind of it's not. Maybe it's not coming as as, as naturally to them. Now you're you're asking me specifically around that. I'm not sure it's as much as a factor as 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 maybe other people think it is. You know, is that a factor for the fact that the the scrum didn't work at the weekend or the lineouts didn't really work at the weekend? I'm not really sure. Um, but listen, I have played in teams as well that have. You know, you you, co- you go into the six nations for a block, you come out and uh, and you you have to tr- kind of change your mindset a little, bit, and that takes a bit of time. And I, I think in a World Cup in particular, where you know you're three four months working together in in such a focused way, and then a you know you you step back out of that and, and have to and have to uh, change your approach uh, and, and kind of principles about maybe an attack and defense to suit a, a new game plan, and that does take a little while, but um, you know, is that to blame for um, uh, inaccuracies uh, in, in in passing, which we've seen, or uh, poor execution of set p- pace stuff? I, I'm just not sure because I'm not in the squad, and so it's very hard to it's very hard to see from the outside uh, to really know from the outside. The players will know. I'd say the players would have a very good sense of, of, of if that's the case or not. And you know, I wouldn't they'd be looking for excuses either way. But they're probably closer to being able to to being able to say, okay, plotting a way out of out something like that and having an idea how long it's going to take to get them um, back on where they need to be to kind of keep their season moving.
5: Dennis, is the set piece the most worrying aspect from, say, Leo Cullen's point of view, given that that was his speciality as a player? He was the Fords coach last year. The Fords didn't perform particularly well last year. So his CV as a coach wasn't great coming into this job. And then things have maybe even gotten worse in that regard.
2: Well, I'm not sure you can say. It's, it's, I, I, I don't. I'm not sure that that's. Um, I think starting with the with the, the set piece of the weekend, the set piece of the weekend was very weak, and I think you know Leo said that after the game, um, and it was certainly surprising from the outside, like me, to, to look in and see. You know, it's, it's an area I would would think, given the players that Leicester have and the experience they have, especially up front, that that'd be an area to be very strong in, um, and you could maybe expect that. Elements of the fluidity of attack and uh, executing, you know, wider game plan stuff. That's the stuff that could have been maybe a little bit rustier, maybe little imprecisions creep in there again due, due to a lack of familiarity. Uh, but you don't really expect the, um, the the basics of the set piece to be the first things to, or well, certainly be the things that 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 have undone Lanster so far. And uh, you know, I think any objective view of the match at the weekend would probably say that's really where the you know that's the where where leicester really lost the match they really struggled in the scrum and they they struggled to win lineouts and most of the penalties that that uh bath got more directly or indirectly from uh, poor set piece so yeah, know i think that that is that has been something for me that was a big surprise at the weekend does that mean the lancer set piece is all of a sudden not good or that leo cullen doesn't know what he's doing i don't think so i, I just think um they've a lot more work to do in that than they than i think they probably collectively would have thought so so you know i, I still don't have uh, you know I, i'm 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 I suppose maybe I'm taking a little bit different view from what my expectations were of, of Leinster of this season. Uh, I think when Matt O'Connor left last year, I think people automatically assumed that Leo Cullen coming in as coach and Gervin Dempsey assistant coach, what they would be able to do in a really short time is, is, re, is address all the deficiencies in Matt O'Connor's game plan and, automatically leapfrog to where Leinster were two seasons ago or three seasons ago under Joe Schmidt. And that's that's not realistic. I, I think if you if you appoint a young um coaching group who are in their first full-time jobs in this and in some cases in German's case any is any is his um, first role in any sort of capacity is as a senior coach. You know, you have to readjust your expectations. I think the expectation of this has to be, this is a three-year cycle. We have a new coaching team. It's not going to be perfect. They have some very experienced players and some very inexperienced players. And they should be given the time that any coaches to get the game uh, to get their game plan uh we re- we it, develop it and get it to a stage where where it's performing they want to do it they're not going to do it in three or four games they're not going to do it in probably even within the first year and um, you want to see progress and you want to see the basics done well and I think that'll be the focus of, of of on the on the on the performance of last week that will that would be disappointing. But, you know, there's a lot more leeway I think they should be given and people should readjust their expectations of this new team accordingly.
1: Yeah, well, I think they are. I mean, you can't to look to do that after two games. So is there an argument then, Jerry, and no, Simon asked no, about... I don't
2: think they have been. People are oh, why so. they doing this? Why are unless you playing that way? But it's, it's not, I don't think it's realistic.
5: A functioning scrum and lineout, though, Dennis, I think is, is a basic requirement, particularly with Leo Cullen in charge.
2: Yeah, no, no, I agree. And that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think that's... That's what's been the most surprising thing for me, and I think they'll be you know, be very disappointed at that at and the players will be very disappointed, at the players that they have, that they haven't been able to deliver that, you know?
0: What's going to be particularly disappointing is there was no problem solving, even at half time. You know, we've seen Leinster do that b- before in the past, and with such an experienced front row, all f- for Irish internationals, and, you know, two good Irish props on the bench as well, it was disappointing they didn't problem solve. I mean, I think they were penalised seven times in total at scrum time. It conceded directly, directly led to 13 points in the scoreboard. In a 1916 game, that's fairly significant. And it's pretty remarkable to think that Bath had so much the match and such a good attacking force and are so more cohesive, um, much more developed counter-attacking game. You see when George Ford or Anthony Watson is last man back, somebody always works back to give him a passing option. Leinster don't have that work rate. They don't have that developed counter-attacking game. And, of course, their running game, Bath's running game, the way they use decoy runners as screens and go around them and go wide. They is again the accuracy of their passing is way better than Lenser's, and they're only going to get better as the season progresses. And if it wasn't for Ben Teo, I wouldn't like to think what might have happened there. I thought Teo had a really fine game, uh, but then, yeah, the, the problem then is that not only are they not problem solved, but then the implications of this. I think Dennis is right. People have to realign their expectations for Lenser. I don't think they have any choice now because they're pretty much out of Europe already which is a big deflating blow for the organisation for the squad for the new coaching ticket and for the fan base it's going to test their patience now and Leo Cullen's asking for patience and the implications of this in the long term like you know for Sean O'Brien uh, Keane Healy and um, Ben Teo all of whom are out of contract at the end of the season are, do they see Leinster as a credible force in Europe this is very important and I'm not sure everybody in the IRFU gets this Simon to be quite honest um, I did a feature about this on Saturday in the paper that Leinster and all the problems have been pruned by about 150k compared to 2006-7 in their um, costumes for their overseas players we're not bringing in the same quality of overseas players as we did you think back to what kick-started the Leinster golden era and it was Michael Scheck insisting on Paul McNaughton achieving them with Mick Dawson bringing in CJ van der Linde, Issa Nasewa uh, supplementing those that were already there Felipe Contopomi Chris Whitaker, and they had some really good quality overseas players And as did Munster in the years they won the Heineken Cup and you know they, the, the feeling the union seems to be now in the wake of the quarterfinal exit that, in any, if anything, they should be going back further in overseas players and they need more Irish players developed and playing regularly so that they can withstand the hits they took in the French game before they go against Argentina. But it's far better for the Irish rugby that the problems are supremely confident and, and competitive in Europe. And to that end, they need to be back more in terms of bringing in overseas players, good quality overseas players like Easton Aceba and, and others. And if that that doesn't happen and there comes to be a a bit of an abyss in Europe now where Ireland don't get any player teams in the quarterfinals or beyond for a couple of years, that could have a potentially profound effect on Team Ireland. You know, Team Ireland needs strong provinces. It doesn't need weak provinces.
1: Dennis, what about that point? Uh, Just on
0: the overseas players and the
1: lack of quality, does more need to be done there?
0: Well, you know
2: that's clear. You know this is a policy decision from the IRFU. um, uh, Whether more needs to be done, you know they they obviously see. You know they've they brought in David Newseforia. That's his policy is to is is to sway you know move the players away from dependency on foreign players and um, uh, and increase the availability and uh, a pool of of players who play international rugby and the the I'm not say the problem with the policy like that but but just by 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 its nature policies like that they take three or four or five years to to start coming to effect and there can be a uh, detrimental or a positive effect in, the, in, in during that period on, on let's say on the provincial sides and then if it's deemed to work you don't find out for as i said maybe five years if it's deemed not to work you spend another three or four years trying to um you, maybe somebody else to come in and try to change it so uh, it's a very long cycle um uh policy to determine if it's been a success or not. Um but the RFU will probably say, look to the World Cup and say, you know, we we lost critical players at the most important juncture of Irish rugby in recent years and we didn't have the strength and depth to withstand a game of, of, of the type of uh, pressure that Argenti- the Argentina game was and everything should be like like in New Zealand everything should be about preparing the national side to progress in, in the top tournament in, in, in world rugby and that's the policy that they're pursuing and, and um, all the provinces are gonna have to live with that because that's clearly their goal you know, we can't have people saying we should be more, we should, we should do more like what New Zealand are doing and put the national game to the front of forefront of what we're doing, and you know the way they develop their players, and then turn around and say, well, you know, we still want to be able to bring in foreign players or provinces are doing well. I understand the point Jerry's making, and because I do believe that Irish will be, uh, you know, the, the facts are there. It, it, it thrived under an era where the, the, the provincial sides were doing. Fantastically in in, in Europe, or, or certainly a large percentage of them were, um, but you know we, I don't I don't think we can have it every way. So this is a policy they're going to pursue and and they're going to stick to it. I would say, and and uh, everyone's going to have to live with it.
5: I actually don't agree. I think I think the best players at the province at the moment are the foreign players. If you look at CJ Stander, saeli's coming into Munster. Uh, ben Teo was probably our best player, Leinster's best player at the weekend. The Teo, uh, Rumpinar up in Ulster, Bundyaki and Connocks. They're nearly the best players in all those four provinces. I think the problem at the moment is is the Irish guys, um, particularly at Ulster and Leinster. And maybe we aren't getting as expensive as players, but the quality is still pretty high, and it's, it's more about the other people. And, and maybe it's the coaching at the moment. I mean, I think I think Leo Cullen has been asking for patience, and he deserves patience. He deserves more time, absolutely. I oh, think everybody that, knew when no, they came.
2: The only thing I'd say to that, Simon, is that is that, on your very point, if the best players are foreign players, right, Um, Why aren't the Irish? The Irish provinces don't do best when the best players on the pitch are foreign players. They do best when the best players are Irish players, supplemented by very good foreign players. Um, And I think to compare, you know, one of the key key factors for you know Joe Schmidt's reign, for example, in Leinster, is that the Irish players who were playing for for Ireland at the time were probably among the best Irish players who played for Ireland. Certainly, in the professional era, and you know, you could say they still have a lot of quality. Probably not as good uh, uh, throughout the throughout the the team, for example. Uh, as and you could say the same amongst Munster. So, you, you know, the, the the best players in the provinces, you could say. I, I would, agree, I, I don't disagree with a lot of that. But the problem is, is that that the results speak for themselves. The Irish provinces do best when the Irish players are the best players in the pitch, not when the foreign players are.
1: Yeah, and I think whatever way you maybe splitting hairs to a certain extent because whatever way you dice it up you do need the (coughs) quality of Irish players coming through to be a a top notch and it looks as though we mentioned Van der Fleer there and there are one or two others coming through at Leinster that do look pretty promising Jerry, I don't know is there an argument that at this stage of the season you say right we're not going to qualify this might be a bit defeatist we're not going to qualify but we'll bring in the young players give them as much experience as possible at the very top level so they're ready for next year. Can you write off a season like that?
0: I don't know that you can. I don't know you can go to Toulon in three weeks' time and you know pick Lencer's equivalent of the Esports and take the hit for it. I think you have to remain competitive in Europe. Um, I, I wouldn't like to think of Lencer as the whipping boys in the group <laughs> or potentially it. I I think that he, he will have more scope now to look at his squad if they are out of Europe, say in January in the last couple of rounds. And he can maybe prioritise the league, because the league actually remains very important. A, you've got to get in the top six to qualify for the Champions Cup. Um, B, you've got to get into the top four uh, to get a better seeding, and get a chance of winning the league, which Leinster failed to do last season, partly why they're in the predicament they're in this season. We mustn't forget that. Um, It was a legacy of the last year. And also, you know, then getting a lucrative home semi-final, or maybe even winning the league. So I think the league is actually at a point where it's more important than ever. And now, potentially, and certainly after December, it could be, that Leinster's season revolves exclusively around the league and therefore Leo would have some scope to actually look at squad in the context of European matches in January. And so there will be more elbow room for maybe to do that. And then, of course, when it comes to Six Nations, he'll have no choice again.
1: You mentioned Ulster earlier on and they don't have quite the same issue as Leinster in terms of supplying most of the players to the Irish team. Yeah. Uh, still enough of them <clears> in there. What do you attribute their heavy defeat against Saracens to?
0: <laughs> it was heavy. It was every bit as bad as Leinster the week before. I didn't think Ruin Pienaar was that good, actually, to be honest with you, Simon. I thought he looked a bit ponderous. Um,
5: I guess it, I'm talking about him over <laughs> a yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, they are missing a couple of key players through injury. They'll be better when they get back to full tilt. I always thought that was going to be a difficult match for them. It's a bit similar to Leinster. It's a new, slightly rejigged coaching ticket. It is after the World Cup. But um, the one common theme, I think, for both the Leinster and also performance to date against their English opponents is the... Just a lack of creative spark, lack of ingenuity in their back play, in particular, and in terms of opening up the opposition defence, the Irish teams su- seemed to have fallen a little behind in that regard. And certainly Ulster looked as if they'd had, if they were there for another couple of hours, wouldn't have scored a try. Well, I thought the difference was Saracens just had that little bit of cheek
5: about them. The first try, I mean, the game was very, very equal, and and it looked like it could be close to a draw, sort of midway through the second half. And then Owen Farrell just tries a couple of things. And they weren't necessarily things that should result in tries, but there was just a little bit of cheek and ingenuity. Whereas Ulster were just sort of almost following a coach's rota and just going through the motions a little bit, not thinking for themselves. And and that sort of was the difference. And the same with Wasps as well. They
0: just have that imagination, whatever it is. Ability to play heads up, probably do what they see in front of them. Yeah, you, they both scored similar tries over the weekend, didn't they, Wasps? And... Um Saracens with a chip into space, seeking out where the space is, getting onto the ball, quick hands um, to draw the last defender and put a support runner over. Almost identical. Just open play, completely unstructured, nothing pre-planned about it, nothing off the training paddock, just playing what you see in front of you. And yes, they do seem to be a little bit ahead in that regard. Dennis,
1: just a uh, last word on Toulon, getting beaten by that sort of scoreline against Wasp. It seemed to be It's all the old cliches against uh, about the French teams not liking playing these sort of games maybe in a... a, a In the middle of England on a cold Sunday night, but it certainly didn't seem to suit them. We thought Toulon had moved far beyond that in the last few years. Is this, as Jerry fears, maybe not necessarily a good result from Lencer's point of view?
2: Um, well, it's not, I don't think it's a great result from an answer point of view because they will be better at home. But, you know, had have had a great start to the season themselves. Um, so, you know, maybe they're not having the best year. They haven't gone off to the best year. They haven't adjusted maybe with their World Cup players being away. you know, They've been languishing for their, for them as far as they're concerned at a point, part of the table where they're not particularly happy. Um, but, you know, they haven't looked like the team they were. You know, for example, the team that came to Ravenhill um, two years ago, or last year, and just you know, were able to demolish Ulster. Uh, you know, they 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 were pale shadow of that on the road. Obviously, this week, but um, you know, I think they'll be very dangerous as a result at home. You know, you they won't put in a performance like that in front of their own home fans and home, in front of their owner. Um, and you know, I, I see Le- you know Leinster uh, obviously is a, have a huge um, have a huge mountain to climb in this pool, but I think Leicester be better again. You know, they were better last week. Uh, against Bata they were against Wasps albeit with serious deficiencies in their set piece I think they'll be working very hard on that I think they would be better again against Chulon um, and their senior players who really, really smarting I would say for the performances they put in you know I'm trying to, I'm trying to put myself in that position in the position that of you know, it, when you're a senior player in that sort of regard, and you're a season international like Leinster have, you really know that you have to step up and 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 um certainly back a coach when your coach is in his first year. And I, I think they'll really want to front up when they go to Toulon and two weeks. And you know, no, no one gave Leinster much much uh chance in Toulon last year either, um, playing playing that semi final, so you know, they they. They'll be very fearful of, of not performing, but I think they'll go there certainly with a with a very strong mindset to perform. But you know, I think the French, I think the French sides, um, uh, you know, they're they're still, you know, Claremont were excellent the weekend. Uh, albeit they let Ospreys back into the game, and then a team like Toulon really weren't. So uh, you know, there the the English sides to me at the moment look the most consistent in the tournament. Um, and you know, you talk about the Saracens Ulster game, uh, and Ulster not being able to to break them down. And just look at Saracens' record in Europe over the last three years. You know, they've been in a final, been in semi-finals. They won the they won the English domestic championship. They're one of the best sides in Europe and have been for years. And and. With respect to Ulster, Ulster haven't been in that in in that, in that sort of company uh, for the last year, so you know, you can say Ulster didn't perform, but they were playing against one of the best, consistently best sides in Europe at the weekend and they played like that, you know.
1: Yeah, well hopefully those stats from earlier on turn around a little bit over the next few weeks. Isn't Dennis brilliant stuff, Jerry? Thanks a million.
6: Cheers. <laughs> Your desk. boom ooh. I mean it, I'm fucking raging Speaking from my heart ooh, ooh. Who would I want in? I've got my Terry Butcher in
3: Mr. Tate, how you doing?
4: Not too good after tonight ooh, ooh. You got the job on the technicality Of a legend
0: who recommended you Take no beep, I take no beep I Take no, I take no, I take no beep Just so soft, I don't try to get so deep You know me, but I can't yell me I can't yell me you have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the
4: fans. What's the fans? He's not even fucking watching it. You are nothing. You are a fool and you are a waste
2: of time. Good night.
3: Oh, the Guinness Book of echo stuff. Get
2: out!
0: He's the biggest fool in Manchester.
1: Simon, can we just go back to Ben Taylor for a second? You said you thought he was probably Leicester's best player. Yeah. Brian O'Driscoll. Not sure if he felt the same. He applauded the aggression in a lot of the big hits that Pete was making but made the point eh, this guy's kind of taking too many risks here defensively shooting out of the line and concentrating too much on trying to bury the opposition
5: Yeah it was really noticeable in the first five minutes that he wasn't worrying too much about the structure of things and just wanted to hit his opposite man essentially I think it was Ford was one of them actually really noticeable and Driscoll is he talks about this a lot in fairness about the structure of the back line and how the number 13 must call it and he sets the, the tone of where the defensive line is but you kind of get the feeling the way Leinster played the previous week they just needed to make an impression just yeah, I put of some so. of their aggression and their hurt from last week even though he wasn't involved the previous week just some statement of intent sometimes that's more important than yeah. applying structure
1: Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now
2: That's yeah. They have asked for that, really.
3: Oh, you can laugh I'm the walk up.
2: I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. I you don't know what you're talking about.
6: What did yeah.
3: you I'd like just... to stay alive right, okay. I'd
2: say it to you, if
6: I not
3: say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them What you doing down
2: here? You're showing me, man. That.
3: Well, when I mean, it was all about El Clasico, I'm, I'm just not going to stop using... It was a slow burn for you, Ken. I
1: I felt over the... I think what needed to happen there, Ken, was that the matches had to live up to their billing. Yeah. If they were no good, you would have thought, who cares? But you were watching two games at the same time. They really do clash. They do clash. They were really
3: competing for my attention. I wish that I was able to train one eyeball in each match um, like a comedian and somehow interpret the confused uh, images that I was seeing into some kind of coherent uh, thing. But that's just not the way the human brain is structured on. I had to watch one. Uh, While well, the other one was on the screen, and then watch the other one back, uh, having recorded. So that's what I did, and uh, we're going to talk about both those games. Uh, the games obviously were Manchester City against Liverpool and um, Real Madrid against Barcelona, and a couple of other things besides. Um.
1: It's been a pretty good week for Irish golf. Paul Dunn played six rounds on top of the eight that he'd already played. So that's 14 in total to get through qualifying school and earn his European tour card. They really put those lads through the ringer there. Rory McIlroy ended a miserable enough year by winning the race to Dubai. And most intriguingly, Graeme McDowell followed up his first victory in a year and a half last week with another really good showing this weekend, third place in Houston. Lawrence Donegan was watching him do it. Lawrence, have you been impressed with how he's ground out a couple of big results at the end of a fairly terrible year?
6: Well, absolutely, and I mean it wasn't a case of grinding them out. I mean that was a great win uh, in Mexico, and again, well, the, Kevin Kistner blew away the field uh, this week. Um, but no, but uh, the, the funniest thing for me—I don't know if you saw—it was that the how um, he started his round, banged his drive down the fairway, and then picked his ball up. <laughs> you thought know, it was a worth queen in place thing, and that cost him a, cost him a penalty shot. It was—I it was, mean, it's was amazing that pros would be, you know, like a pro would be so checked out. But uh, anyway. He powered the hole and went on, and I a, a good t- a tie for second. So I was just looking this morning. That's him up to, because the big thing for these guys is that, is the world rankings. If you fall outside the top fifty of the world rankings, you don't automatically get into all the majors or the World Golf Championships, and that's where most of the world ranking points are. So I noticed this morning he's back up to fifty three. Now he just needs one more, you know, decent performance over the next couple of months, and he'll be in inside the top 50. And and that's a really really important thing for these guys. So he's uh, clearly got a
1: finger out. Yeah, because he ended 2014 at 15th in the world. But before the uh, event a couple of weeks ago, the, the Turkish Airlines opened. He was down to 82nd, which is a hell of a fall. Yeah. And it's golf, Lawrence. We've all seen these guys who fall off a cliff, which is, uh, has to play on people's minds. If they, even if they've one bad year, this could be the start of the end.
6: And the other thing as well, I and mean, you can so you look at these world rankings every week and you can sense a shifting of generation, you know. Hmm. Like that you're looking at Brooks Kopka. Who's Kevin Kissner? Well, by the way, you think he's twenty sixth in the world now. You know, and and there's McDowell, Ryder Cup's uh, US Open winner. I mean he only he won the US Open five years ago and he's eighty three in the world. I, I I think that I mean McDowell's a p kind of peculiar guy because I mean his swing is so kind of unique, I mean, and I say that in the nicest possible way, it's a kind of, technique technique requires a lot of practice and as he's, he's admitted over the last, you know, four or five, six months that he's really not, you know, perhaps been as engaged as he, as he should, should have been. I mean, he's got, a, he's recently married, mm. a new baby um, and he probably hasn't been practiced, I'm not sort of demeaning, you know, just, you know, digging him up about it or anything but he is a, you know, he's admitted himself that he perhaps hasn't been practicing enough and, and really been committed enough. And, and lo and behold, you know, maybe five, six years ago, you you would have got away with that. But, you know, who, five or six years ago, who'd heard of Jordan Spieth? You know, uh, it's a fast-changing world. And, uh, you know, other guys, and this is great credit to McDowell. You look at the likes of, uh, well, Poulter's dropped out the top 50. Donald is outside the top 50. Lee Westwood is outside the top 50. That generation of which McDowell was probably well, on the younger side of it, is all toiling now, and good credit to to kind of bite to bounce back.
1: Yeah, and I got to be honest, Lawrence. I do with the golf at this this time of the year. Uh, I tend to <laughs> take at least one eye off it uh, and tend to look elsewhere for my
6: for my sporting uh,
1: highlights of the well, weekend. I'm, I-
6: well, I'm a golfing now, and I'm the same. You know, I mean, who wants to watch the McIlroy Classic on a on a Sunday oh, afternoon? But this is it but this, is it. but
1: this is the situation that he en- ends up finding himself in. And oftentimes, I look at these yeah, tournaments and right. think, ah, people just want a bit of an easy paycheck, or whatever, whatever their reasons are. But actually, these tournaments really are for, I suppose, the guys who have to try to stay on tour, the guys near the bottom, and also a McDowell type who said himself a few days ago, he said, "Look, you know, I was looking at it, and my employment status in the U.S. was under threat. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, yeah. it's my job, and that's the place to play golf."
6: Uh, Yeah, and it just goes to show you, the last couple of weeks have shown that, uh, you know, I'm not sure anybody was going to write McDowell off, but the last couple of weeks have just shown, you know, when he gets in one of these fields where there's not many of the top, top players there. I mean, he's right at the very top. I mean, he's still a quality golfer. I think that's a real thing you can take from the last, uh, you know, three or four weeks. They call them the the fall season events in the PGA Tour. Is about, you know... It's seven or eight of them, and it's a chance, as you say, it's a chance for these guys who have either just got on tour or who have had a pretty rough year. Um, but by the way, it's, you know, there's no mugs out there. I mean, these are all great players, but you know that, that that world level. I mean, this is the last from for me. If you look at the last two or three or the last two events from McDowell, it just shows that he's still a world player. Uh, he's just had maybe had a had a rough spell, and you know, I, I'm sure he's very optimistic heading into next year. Um, He's, as I was saying, he's one more win and then he's back into that top 50 elite. And he doesn't, again, he can go back to planning his schedule because if you get outside that top 50, you're basically going from week to week. Um, I, the idea of McDowell being uh, unemployed, you know, his employment status, I think you may have a few quid in the bank to kind of see him through for a for a, for, a, for a couple of weeks at
1: least Yeah I'm sure he'll be okay on, on that score alright but the uh, even I suppose the type of player he is he's when he's won the big tournaments when he's won a major when he's done well he said he wasn't playing well coming into the Ryder Cup but he has this, this ability to work and to be consistent yeah. and, and to, I mean he's, he's really the antithesis of what you're talking about with a lot of the modern players who can hit the ball a mile he really can't and he has to make up for it in other ways one of those is that he, he's very he seems to be very mentally tough anyway but that that can that that's what impresses me anyway. That actually he well, uh, was mentally tough enough this year to to continue to grind it out despite the year. It's easy to give up maybe towards the end of October, early November when it's gone so badly for him.
6: Well, uh, that's been the, one of the great defining things about Nadal. He has uh, he's a great Ryder Cup player. You know he, uh, you know he's a tough tough guy. Uh, brilliant putter. I mean, that really separate, you know, when it gets down to it, could you imagine if um, if McIlroy had been able to putt the way the McDowell putts with the kind of consistency? I mean, I know that McIlroy putted brilliantly the weekend uh, in Dubai, but, you know, McDowell is a great putter, and he's a really, really gutsy guy. <laughs> he gets in these kind of match play tight situations or where it's, you know, he's backed against a wall. I mean, if you go back to that uh, U.S. Open, back nine, the U.S. Open on Sunday afternoon, I mean, all around him was collapsing. Uh, it was, a, I'll never forget that day, it was brutal, br- brutal wind. I think Ernie Els, who was I think leading at one point, it was very close to McDowell. He went minus, uh, plus four in the back nine. And McDowell has just always been one of these guys, simply because he's had to be. You, you, can you imagine uh, You know, McDowell standing on the range next to Rory McIlroy with, you know, and thinking, oh my God, you know, how am I going to beat this guy? But if you actually look at the head-to-head records between McIlroy and McDowell, I think McDowell's got him virtually every single time they have played together. Um, so your point is well made on, he's a, a really, really uh, mentally tough guy, and he's probably, you know, built for situations that like he's, he's faced over the last month. Uh, it's been, again, really impressive. And of course... He is one of the all-time good guys, isn't he? Uh, so you're always going to root for
1: him. I know I am. I'm always going to root for him. So uh, good luck, him. Yeah, me too. Rory is a similar sort of trajectory, I guess. A very different kind of a year. He had the ankle injury. He had the court case. Yeah. It was a messy one for him. But he ends it with uh, win, winning the race to Dubai and pocketing a nice €3 million. Euro. If you're McIlroy, yeah. are, you, are you feeling pretty good about things despite a strange oh, season? Yeah.
6: Yeah, it was, you know, it's almost as a kind of, oh, as a, by the way, he pockets three million euros. Isn't that amazing? I mean, no wonder he was quite happy He's fell in court for 30 million euros or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, pfft. I get, although, again, like I'm looking this morning, stone number three in the world, but yeah, the, yeah I mean, he's brilliant, right? Yeah, I don't I mean, everybody talks about speed and Jason Day, great players, but I'm, I'm sorry. For me, if you actually, if McEnroe hadn't had that period off when he was messing around with, the, uh, with soccer, uh, he would, you know, it was the Scottish Open he missed, mm. he missed the uh, the Bristol, he missed uh, the Open. These are all tournaments he would have done really well in, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And there wouldn't have been a squeak at the top of the world rankings, McIlroy would have been a mile ahead. Uh, so, uh, you know, if anybody wants to argue with me about who's the best player in the world, I'm sorry, uh, it's, it's McIlroy, he can approve it. Again, I know the, t- the very, very top guys, the Americans, w- weren't there but uh, what a performance! It was absolutely a typical McIlroy fashion as well. He, he can't just go and do it; he has to muck around at the end. But uh, you know, McIlroy with a bogey in the seventy-first hole when he it was looking at like a double bogey and, and goes on to win. It was a it was brilliant, brilliant stuff.
1: So and you're still you're still a Rory McIlroy man over Jordan Spieth despite Spieth's heroics oh, this year.
6: Oh yeah, well, well again as you say, I mean you got I mean Spieth had a brilliant year. Um, I, I think McElroy's, I mean, got a bit of a fright this year I think uh, you know as I say if you, you know, even at the time when he did his leg playing playing football uh, you know people say oh, defending his right to play football well, I noticed yesterday he's saying well I shouldn't have been doing that I was a bit daft and to me it was indicative of a guy who again obviously they're all uh, committed and engaged in it but maybe I, you know if he'd been thinking straight if he'd been fully committed to everything he wouldn't have been playing football two weeks before the Open I'm sorry and, and I say that cost him it certainly cost him the, uh, the world number one ranking because if he played those you know five, six, seven, eight 6, 7, 8 weeks he would, have, he would have easily had enough of a gap over the other two guys yeah. best player in the world I think
1: ok Lawrence we'll leave it at that thanks a million
6: all the best mate take care
3: I say I'm a million percent that is better than 100%. a hundred percent I've confined giants at both stadium i and, and when I'm a flex smoker we got a date with destiny right now
1: Well, there you go, Lawrence, sticking by Rory McIlroy, despite Jordan Spieth's two majors this well, year. Well,
4: what, 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 what did Jordan Spieth do this year, really? Two majors. Yeah, other than that, you can um, get lucky. You can get, you, you can get lucky twice in any year on.
1: Uh, I was pretty competitive in the other two, if I remember correctly, in the Open and the <sighs> PGA.
4: Well, if you call tied fourth and second competitive.
1: <laughs> so you're a Speed man. No, I'm a Roy McIlroy man. Okay, alright. You're just worried about speed. You think speed Listen, will get the best can a,
4: Anyone can go on a hot streak for <laughs> a year. You yeah. know? Uh, who here hasn't had a hot year, mm-hmm. quite frankly, Owen? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with Lawrence. Of course I'm with Lawrence.
1: We opened the show by talking about the violence at Fenway Park in the Fenway Classic. Big crowd, by the way. Near enough 30,000. Yeah. And mm-hmm. a pretty, pretty big crowd at the International Rules as well. No violence, really. A sport that, for a number of years, let's be honest attracted huge crowds because of, of the violence. The violence. Yeah. But it produced a good spectacle despite, of yeah, it, it was very despite good. or because of people being on their best behaviour and concentrating on the football.
4: Yeah, I, uh, Joe Kernan had said before and that he was going to uh, concentrate on playing Gaelic football as he thought that's where we should have an advantage. Uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> pr- I'm paraphrasing slightly, yeah. but he basically said, uh, and it has been true in the last three or four years, the Australians have been better Gaelic footballers than us and as a result have won quite a few games against us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the level of point taking points as we would understand them and goal taking actually very very high. Just the general standard of foot passing very very high from the Irish team. Uh, very enjoyable spectacle. I've always kind of, I've always kind of liked it. The the international rules. I mean, it's not something that I've ever really gotten that cynical about. Um, uh, so I mean, I, I, and it looks now that on the back of this, on the back of this very good game, very entertaining game, that they're probably going to go back to a two series. Two, uh, two, two games per two, series. Two games per
1: I do series, think yeah. if you're <laughs> going to the effort and expense of sending a team over to Australia, you want to get two games out of it.
4: Yeah, I think so. You know, and even if even if they want to play, yeah, well, it would, I suppose if the, the crowds aren't big enough for for you to think about playing on a Wednesday and then a Sunday, if if you're really mm. that short on time, um, but I mean, I, I think if you're traveling halfway around the world to play just one game, is does seem a little odd to me.
1: This Wednesday evening, November twenty fifth. Quick reminder, we've got our book launched, the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1 and a live recording. This is going to be happening in Dublin City Centre at the Grand, so- Grand Social there, just a long Imagine
4: day. listening to the podcast on Thursday morning thinking, I could have been there. Could have been there, could have been if there. Don't be that soldier. If email us live at secondcaptains.com,
1: please. Uh, know, I yeah, will, I'll send you that ticket personally. Use the subject uh, tickets, put the subject tickets into the subject line there and tell us your name, the number of tickets you want and your favourite book or annual as a child, why that still grabs you, still sticks in your subconscious Were you a big man for
4: the the boys' own annuals, were
1: you? Uh, No, I was more... uh, Not
4: boys' own as in the band, the boys' (laughs) own.
1: Oh, well, yeah, that... I mean, no. Boys' own, yes, that, no.
4: Uh, No, the uh, World a II... uh, No, 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 I was a a
1: shoot man, shoot annual, be no dandy, that kind of stuff. Mm. Pretty big in my house. I can't remember
4: the names of those, of those, uh, of those cartoon annuals, but I do remember just... Uh, you know, the Chanel, Chanel, Octon mm-hmm. Ken, was this a factor in your Chanel? You know, the, the World oh, War II bit,
3: yeah. Um, the <laughs> well, what were those? I mean, I remember like yeah, th- these World to... War II cartoons with these yeah. uh, pretty evil Germans and often Japanese troops,
4: yeah. And our boys giving them what for our boys, meaning you know, the free world, the free world, yeah.
3: <laughs> live at secondcamps.com's
1: email address. We'll hopefully see you on Wednesday night and uh, if you can't make it or if we can't fit you in because there are only a limited number of tickets we will be hanging around afterwards so we'll be there all evening if you want to come in and get a book and get us to sign it if that's your bag. Thanks very much Kieran.
4: Thank you all. thank you Ken. Thank
3: Thanks. you Kieran, and
1: thank you all. Very much Ken. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later in the week. Got... How is
2: that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home,
3: those,
1: those boys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.